When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of Study Break. My name is Melody, and today I am here with the host of She Persisted podcast, Sadie Sutton. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Today we're going to be discussing something that I personally am extremely interested in. I just thought it's such a unique topic to discuss how media in film, TV shows, and even social media portrays mental health conditions now. I think there's often this debate in society where we kind of assume that people are bringing awareness to mental health conditions, which is true and super amazing. But there's also situations where the portrayal is kind of problematic. So to start off, let's kind of define some terms that are important what is the proper term to use between mental health challenges, mental health illnesses, mental health conditions? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think it, it really depends. And everything mental health related is on a spectrum, right? So um, the way that I talk about mental health challenges, mental illness, whatever you whatever you want to call it, um, I, I talk about it from an emotion perspective. So say we're talking about anxiety. We all experience fear, apprehension, feelings of anxiety at some point in our life because those serve an evolutionary purpose. They keep us safe. They get us away from threats. And when we go back to caveman days, there was a lion there. Or if there was a storm coming, fear, anxiety would pop up. We'd get back to safety. So we all have those emotions. That's one end of the spectrum. And on the other end of the spectrum is anxiety as a mental illness or as a mental health challenge. Um, and that's when these feelings of fear and apprehension and anxiety, those feelings are still valid, but their intensity and duration are not justified given the threat. So that's when you're having a full-blown panic attack because you're giving a presentation at school. And every single time you have to speak in front of a group, you're having a panic attack. So those feelings are valid, but the reaction, the emotions, the intensity, the duration is not justified given the threat at play. Um, and that's when you're getting into fight or flight mode. That's when you're having these, these physiological symptoms that, that come with anxiety. And so you can look at depression the same way. You can look at all of these different mental health challenges. And so mental illness is a clinical diagnosis that you get from a doctor. Um, when your symptoms are severely impairing your quality of life and your ability to function. Um, and you can also experience mental health challenges while not necessarily having a mental illness. You can experience anxiety. You can experience a lot of feelings of anxiety that present a challenge to you, make it difficult to navigate certain things. Um, and so I lean towards using the term mental health challenges because it's more encompassing. Everyone experiences challenges with their mental health. Um, 
but mental illness is when it's severely impairing your ability to function. Um, and then just like our physical health, your physical health and being healthy is when you're you're doing good. There's no physical problems that are standing out. You're not struggling to function. You're not experiencing like pain or discomfort. Same thing with your mental health. When you're mentally healthy, it's not impairing your quality of life. You're not noticing issues. You're not wishing things were different. Um, and so you can really just look at it towards the exact same lens that you would use with physical health. That is awesome. And I think there is this, I guess, terminology issue going on where you don't want to say the wrong thing because you don't want to offend anyone. Yeah. And just like we'll talk about more in this episode, I always lean on the side of having the conversation rather than kind of shying away from it. So even if you feel like you're using terms incorrectly or that you don't really understand what you're talking about, I always think that it's better to start a conversation about mental health and try and put words to what you're feeling and experiencing and seeing rather than being like, oh, I don't want to get this wrong. So I'm not going to say anything. And that's kind of my philosophy. Um, So I'll never be in a situation where I'm like, oh, pull out your diagnosis. Like, who gave you that? Like, what's what are you talking about? That's wrong. (laughs) Like, it's we we all struggle. We all have emotions that can be overwhelming. Um, We all have mental health that needs to be maintained and improved. So I always think that it's better to try and start a conversation um, and be nervous about using the wrong terminology rather than um, kind of shying away from that out of fear of getting getting things wrong. Exactly. It's okay to make mistakes. And this is all a learning process for each and every one of us. We're still discovering new conditions and new ways to portray our feelings and tell other people about our vulnerabilities. Mm -hmm. So before we get started talking about the whole media portrayal of mental health situation, let's talk a little bit more about why you are qualified to speak about this subject. So can you just like really briefly talk about your story? Because I know we will dive into this a bit later on too. Yeah. So again, qualified, I would say is a big term. Um, I'm not a doctor. I haven't gone to school to be a psychologist or a psychiatrist. Um, I just have struggled with depression and anxiety myself and try to share that story and share what worked for me um, because I was so lucky in how I had support when I was struggling, which I'll dive into. And so I want to make that more accessible. I want to share what worked and and let people know that your mental health doesn't have to get super bad for you to get resources and support and treatment. Um, So this is not professional advice. This is not a substitute for therapy or any of those things. Just speaking from experience, take what what you identify with and leave anything else. Um, But yeah, I started struggling with pretty severe depression in middle school, so like sixth, seventh grade, um, and by the time that I was in eighth grade, um, I was I was really still struggling with depression. And I ended up being in and out of the hospital a couple of times that year for severe depression, suicidal ideation, all of those kinds of things. Um, and then I started experiencing really severe anxiety, and I tried everything that you can think of locally, whether it was inpatient, outpatient, group therapy, individual therapy, family therapy, any of the normal steps that you would take at home. Tried it. Didn't really see a huge change with my mental health. Um, And so halfway through my freshman year, I ended up doing residential therapy at an amazing program in Boston called Three East at McLean Hospital. Um, And they are just some of the best clinicians that I've ever encountered. Um, McLean is a Harvard affiliated um, medical, affiliated with Harvard Medical School. Um, A lot of their clinicians are Harvard psychiatry professors. They are the best in the, um, my words are, 
not coming out the way I want them to. Um, it's the number one psychiatric hospital in the country. And so if you're looking for high quality evidence-based mental health treatment, they're the best in the business. And so I went there for a dialectical behavioral therapy program. And so I'm sure that we'll dive more into what DBT is, but DBT, dialectical behavioral therapy, is an evidence-based treatment for originally adults that struggled with suicidal ideation and borderline personality disorder. And now it's been tried in a number of clinical um studies for adolescents that struggle with depression, anxiety, relational complications, eating disorders, so many different things. And so the thing that makes it really great is that it's evidence-based. They're doing clinical trials for DBT. And it's a super by-the-book treatment where you're learning skills, you're doing specific individual therapy, you're doing group therapy. Um, and so there's a little room for standard deviation. You go and do DBT and you're going to have a certain outcome versus working with an individual therapist, which also can be super helpful, but it kind of depends on what you're bringing to the table, what the therapist is able to offer. This is a course you doing quotations because that's not the best way to explain it, but you're learning skills. Um, you're doing various steps. There's a hierarchy that you're following. Um, and, and so you'll have the outcomes that this study, that these studies have shown. Um, and so that was what was what really appealed to my parents and to me was that it's an evidence-based treatment. And so they knew what the outcome would be. Um, and, and it wasn't just kind of like, well, let's see how this goes. Let's go and talk to someone and maybe it'll help. Um, and that's something that I think is really unique about DBT because a lot of mental health treatments are kind of more abstract. It's a little bit more difficult to wrap your head around and be like, okay, I'm going to talk to someone and express my emotions and then maybe I'll feel better. This is like six to eight weeks later, suicidal ideation is down. Depression is down. Anxiety is down. And so that is something that I think is was really relieving to experience in the mental health industry to, to have these um clinical statistics backing up this progress. Um, but yeah, so I was there for 14 weeks and I came out on the other side, no longer struggling with depression and anxiety and suicidal ideation. And then I spent a year and two months at a therapeutic boarding school, really just continuing to sustain that progress and build healthy relationships um, and, and then transition back home and be able to live a, a life where I was no longer kind of inundated with mental health struggles and overwhelmed by what I was feeling. And so um, after I had done that year and a half of treatment, I realized how few teens there were that were on the other side of mental health challenges that were speaking out and saying, okay, like you truly can get better and it's possible and I've done it and you can too. And like I said, I was so lucky to have those resources accessible to me. I took my second semester of freshman year off to just do treatment. I was away from home for a year and a half. And that's something that a lot of people aren't able to do is just drop your life for the sake of your mental health. And so there were lots of coping skills and tips and tricks and philosophies that I picked up along the way that I wanted to share because my mental health didn't need to get that bad to be able to implement those skills and tips and tricks and healthy relationships and all of those things. Um, so that's kind of where the podcast came from. And now I'll, I continue to share my journey and talk to other people who have struggled with their mental health. And then I come on other shows and talk about that as well. Um, but yeah, that's a little bit, bit of my background. And Next week, actually, I'm not sure when this episode will come out, but right now it's August 16th, and I'm moving into my dorm at the University of Pennsylvania, where I'll be studying psychology, and I one day want to become a clinical psychologist to just continue to help others with their mental health um, in the way that so many helped me. So, yeah.
That is so awesome. Like, first of all, I'm just so proud of you for all that you've gone through and finding the light at the end of the tunnel. This entire process is so inspiring how you're speaking out for others who are going through similar issues. Like, you are amazing, Sadie. Thank you. (laughs) And so while you were going through this process, I think media, pop culture, it's also going through a new adaptation where people want to have these conversations about mental health. And one way a lot of people are going about this is creating TV shows that kind of use mental health as like their main focus. So right now, let's talk about 13 Reasons Why. This is one of the most popular mental health related shows where Hannah is someone who committed suicide. And The story kind of follows various characters talking about her story as well as other people who could have, quote unquote, prevented that. And this is something that can definitely be triggering to some people. Um, And I know, Sadie, you have a lot of thoughts on this. So go ahead and share why you specifically and intentionally avoid 13 Reasons Why. Yeah, so I did a podcast episode probably like six months or a year ago where I kind of just asked the question. I was like, do we ever stop experiencing triggers for our mental health, for our emotional health, whatever you want to call it, where our, when we, again, have certain triggers, whether it's suicidal ideation, someone committing suicide, is it always going to be a tie to the same experiences and emotions? Are you always going to have those feelings pop? pop up. And I don't necessarily know the answer. I think it's different for everything. I think triggers fade over time. Um, And I think it's really important to know what triggers you and to be a critical consumer. I don't think that the answer is to completely alter what's being put out into the media, what's being put out on TV shows, movies, because everyone's going to consume content differently. You really have to be a judge for yourself of, okay, will this be a show that will help educate me, help me understand someone else's struggle? Will it be entertaining? Will it be a good way to spend my time? Or will it harm my mental mental health? And that's something that you have to decide for yourself. It's not the responsibility of TV producers or writers or any of those other things. Um, For me, knowing that I struggled with suicidal ideation and suicide attempts, I know that watching 13 Reasons Why will bring up those feelings. And even though I'm at a very stable place with my mental health and have been for years now, I know that kind of going down a rabbit hole and watching a TV show that is predominantly about suicide probably isn't something that will improve my mental health. And so I would much rather spend that time that, I don't know, 10 to 12 hours watching The Office, which makes me laugh, or spending time with friends or reading a book that brings me a lot of joy. And so that's a way that I'm a critical consumer and I'm choosing content that improves my mental health. That being said, I love watching Criminal Minds. I love The Handmaid's Tale. So I'm not just like watching all like cheery, happy shows. I just know that um, some like horror movies for me will bring out negative emotions like fear and anxiety, whatever, but it isn't necessarily tied to what I've gone through and it won't take a huge toll on my mental health, if that makes sense. And so specifically relating to 13 Reasons Why, um, the reason why I have so many thoughts on it is because there was a study that was done after the show came out that showed a huge increase in teen suicide rates. And so Whenever we're around something, whether it's st- substance use, using certain language, language like curse words, um, behaviors like in the show 13 Reasons Why, 
when you're around that behavior, language, thought, whatever it is, you're more likely to engage in it. You're more familiar with it. It becomes normalized, right? So if you've never heard of suicide, if you're like a three or four-year-old kid, that would never pop into your mind. It would never be an option that that would be on the table. However, when you're a teenager and you're watching a show every week where it's very romanticized and it's normalized, it is more likely to become an option that you would engage in. And so one of 13 reasons why I was brought to Netflix, um, there was a bunch of professionals that came forward and cautioned against releasing the show. They still decided to um, release the show, which I don't necessarily disagree with because again, it's your responsibility to be a critical consumer, not the responsibility of people producing these shows. Um, but they did warn um, that it that it could lead to copycat suicides. And while I'm talking about this, I'm looking at an article from NPR, which Melody can link in today's show notes just so you can see the data yourself. Um, but the month after the, the show came out in March 2017, there's a 28.9% increase in suicide among kids aged 10 to 17. And that's not insignificant. That's almost a 30% increase. And so that's something that's that's really sad. And it's really, it could have been avoided. It's very, very, very unfortunate. Um, and so I don't know necessarily what the option is is to go forward and to move forward. But I think part of it is being a critical consumer and part of it is kind of having these conversations and telling people about the risk of watching these shows. Um, and so it's 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 a really, it's again, it's a really unfortunate thing. There's no other way to put it. Um, and and the, the data speaks for itself that this show wasn't put out without consequence. And it's even more unfortunate that they were warned before um, and the show still came out and exactly what they knew was going to happen did happen. Um, but that that's one of the, the risks about um, about watching these shows as a teenager who might be struggling with mental health or is feeling emotionally distressed. Um, and that's that's just one very prominent example. I think that's one end of the spectrum. And then way on the other end, you have all these other shows, which will show anxiety or OCD or small panic attacks, all these kinds of things. Um, but it's, it's, it's a conversation that needs to be had. And I don't think people go into that show being aware um, of how that can impact them emotionally. Yeah, exactly. I think the term that you use being a critical consumer, it's so, so, so important to keep in mind because oftentimes we kind of just follow the crowd, you know, oh, 13 reasons why it's popular. Let me go ahead and watch it. And then you don't know how triggering that can be for you and can cause all sorts of problems. So I personally, I think just understanding the premise of a variety of subjects from TV shows, movies, the content you're consuming, everything related to this, you have to be aware of what can help you and what can harm you because yeah. we don't we don't consciously think about this. You know, yeah. it's just floating in the back of our head. And there's so many different things at play here. There's the part of being normalized around a certain behavior. There's a reason that addiction runs in families, um, being around a behavior and seeing how it um, impacts someone's mental health. Um, same thing if you're around people that are, again, cursing a lot. Um, and not to say that's like necessarily a negative thing, but any language. You live in the South, you say y'all more often. If you're living in California, you say like hella more often. So it's it's not unheard of these things get normalized you're more likely to engage in a behavior we know that for a fact we just talked about triggers and how you have to be a critical consumer and that's something that is completely your prerogative and that you can do to protect your mental health and then i think the third thing which is problematic on um, and which 
there is some room for not regulation, but intentional um, thought around is the romanticization. Romanticizing. Yeah, we'll do that form of the word, um, is how these shows romanticize mental health problems. And so in this show, I haven't watched it. I actually did read the book before I struggled with mental health problems, um, which is why I know what it's about enough to be able to speak on it. Um, but it, it, it shows a connection and love and guilt and remorse surrounding Hannah Baker, who's the main character, right? And so after she she passes away, these people feel regret about how they treated her. They feel guilt. They feel remorse. They miss her. They wish that she would have been treated differently. She is given attention and love and care and concern and all of these things that when you're struggling, you want. You want love and care and concern and people to feel guilty for making you feel worse. That's an emotional need that's there. And so the problem is, is when you're portraying this in a way that romanticizes this action, People then go say, hey, but I want love and care and connection. And this is a way to do, get that. This is a way to, to feel those emotions. And it's not going out and telling someone that you really appreciate spending time with them. It's not being like, hey, do you want to hang out today and go get dinner and also get care and love and um, support that way. It's a, it's a really harmful um, way to get those, get those emotions. Um, and so th- that's another thing, which I think is another step that can be taken forward is kind of being aware of the lens through which we're portraying these challenges and making sure that it's not romanticizing them and leading kids to believe that this can solve their problems or can allow these emotional needs to get met. And I think what's really interesting is the fact that you can look at it in two different ways. So one, you can see it as you're romanticizing the behavior of suicide, which obviously is hugely problematic. Mm -hmm. But then the second lens is also for those who may not be struggling with those suicidal ideation and instead view it as, oh, I need to go and reach out to my friends who are going through depression, who are struggling in their life, who may be having these suicidal thoughts. Mm -hmm. So with that, you know, it's really about what perspective you're looking at it from, which again goes back to the whole being a critical consumer situation. A hundred percent. We have been looking at this through like a very negative lens and anti there's 13 reasons why, but if this show allows people to be more aware of the people around them and if it encourages them to reach out and ask if their friends are okay and check in on their mental health, that's an amazing thing. And I haven't seen the data to support that, which is why we're kind of just looking at the numbers here and saying, hmm, this mm-hmm. is problematic. Let's be critical consumers. But yeah, there is a there is a way to be, become more educated and aware of mental health challenges and then go into the world and be aware of how you can support others who might be struggling. And there's a lot of shows that I think that have done a really good job of that. Um, I just finished Generation, which is, um, you can watch it on HBO Max. And that's one that kind of it's more like identity development, but a lot of the different characters struggle with um, mental health challenges, and it's really more related to sexuality and coming out, but it's an amazing coming-of-age teen TV show, so I love that one. I think they do a great job of portraying real teen challenges and relationships and understanding who you are and navigating family challenges, um, 
I really, really enjoyed Euphoria. I think that they did a great job of depicting Rue's depression and what that's really like. It wasn't romanticized. She was sitting in bed for three days watching TV shows and really take, it was taking a physical toll on her. Her relationship struggled. Um, and I can't necessarily speak to how accurate the addiction portion of that is, but as far as portraying that depression and those mental health challenges, I thought that they did a an amazing job of depicting what that looked like. It, I don't think it was romanticized. Um, and I think that people on the other side of that could be like, wow, like, is someone in my life feeling that way? How can I support them? What can I do? Can I get curious and be a better resource and support system for them? Um, those are the first two that come to mind. I'm trying to think if there's any others that I feel like have just done an incredible job. Um, but yeah, those two are two of my favorites that I think just have blown it out of the park as far as mental health portrayals. Yeah. And real quick, like, I think there's an important difference between Euphoria and 13 Reasons Why. Like, you can tell from the way that their whole plot is going. One is focused on the present. Euphoria is focused mm -hmm. on the present, how you can avoid certain situations, how you can act to kind of mm -hmm. solve some of your problems. Yeah. And even action, addiction, and recovery. She is in the throes of it as far as struggling with post-rehab, addiction, recovery, trying to become sober, building relationships. She is in it rather than 13 Reasons Why, where it's on the other end and everyone is left to kind of pick up the pieces. And so you're right. It's a very different narrative and it's at a different time within the the struggle. Um, and so I think that's another part of um, the writing, which kind of impacts the impact impacts the impact of others mental health yeah exactly so it's it's interesting seeing these differences i personally think that the fact that everyone kind of made the show super popular to focus on the fact that oh they're they're having so much regret and they're so sad and they're they're feeling guilty about something that they didn't do in the past you know i feel like that in and of itself is problematic Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it's, again, going back to the numbers, a 30% increase in teen suicides. And it was greenlit for a second series. Like, it's 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 kind of hard to wrap your mind around that. And then, yeah. Huh. Like, yeah, that it did good streaming-wise, but, like, 30% increase is just insane. And so it's, it's something to think yeah. about for sure. And being a critical consumer on your end, because you you are completely able to control whether you consume a show that might negatively impact your mental health, that the ball's in your court there. Mm -hmm. It low-key sounds, honestly, not even low-key. It high-key sounds very unethical. I mean, yeah, and if, if you're looking at it from a numbers perspective, that show did great. It did well enough to get renewed for multiple seasons. It was constantly at the top of Netflix's trending thing. So they're, they're doing their job, and it it's not their job like these psychiatrists who are analyzing yeah. the the effects they're not looking at how it's impacting other people they're just creating a show that gets good streaming numbers and so yes it's not great the the impact but that's also not within the lens of of their job as content creators and so if we're looking at being if you're looking at your job in a more holistic sense and you're really examining how it impacts everyone around you rather than just the numbers and and how it's performing then you're like oh this is not right this is unethical but if you're just strictly looking at it through the numbers sense like okay check the box did the job but i think a lot of us we do want to kind of 
see what we're putting out into the world and see it have a positive effect and not negatively impact people. But we don't know. Other people might not feel that way. But it's, again, a good way to check where your values are at and how you want to be interacting with what you put out into the world. Yeah. And I find that really interesting because I think within Gen Z, the whole cancel culture situation, we often take influencers, for example, I don't know, like Addison Rae, like her purpose for creating content is to do like dance videos, honestly do whatever she wants because she has the ability to do that. She doesn't really have like a set niche, but everyone kind of expects her to be such a perfect person, you know, like be aware about current events, whether it's um, racial issues or mental health issues, you know, like you have to do this and do that and do that and be perfect. But when it comes to TV show producing and all of these entertainment based content, I think it's really interesting how people kind of establish that barrier and how we kind of expect them to just do their job and not be not care as much about other situations that happen as a result of the show they're producing like it's not I'm not really like criticizing or praising it's more of a general comment like I find that really interesting how we kind of just bash influencers but give producers a pass Yeah, I mean, it's also like when you're looking at 13 Reasons Why, you I don't know exactly the numbers of how many people are on that team, but you see the credit scroll at the end. It's like well over 50 different people that are working on a show and writing and editing and storyboarding as well as acting. Whereas with an influencer, their entire brand is their personality, their persona, their physical image. And so with the TV show, it's hard to bash. You can say, okay, this had a really negative impact on teen suicide numbers, but there's not one person you can point at and be like, "Mm, that was your fault. Whereas with an influencer, their whole brand is them as a person. It's one person. And so again, you can look at it numbers wise and Addison Rae is off the chart. She's grown to huge popularity. She's killing her quote unquote job. And it's a lot easier to pinpoint and point at one person and be like, "Mm, you didn't do great in this spot because her brand is her as a person rather than a hundred people behind her that are working on her team and, and writing the lines and doing the outfits and doing the hair and makeup. You know what I mean? It's, it's her, she's a person. And so, um, it's, 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 it's a very interesting thing to, to examine and to navigate and to kind of see how we, um, criticize these different forms of media. Yeah, definitely. Wow. I think you got that spot on like being able to pinpoint one certain person instead of a whole entire production team. So true. So true. So moving forward, let's talk a little bit more about some journalists and magazines. And we had a small conversation before we started recording. And you mentioned the daily news. So Basically, they have those little Snapchat discovery articles, Mm -hmm. and you pointed out that there was one of Pete Davidson um, for, like, their thumbnail, and he Mm -hmm. had, like, crazy spiral eyes and then a quote coming out saying, like, I'm crazy when he was talking about having borderline personality disorder, right? Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. So in the in the Daily Mail article, like you've seen those Snapchat stories where you tap through and they're animated and there's all these photos and clickbait things. That one specifically, definitely I saw that and I was like, 
whoa. Um, because the article, when you read closer, he's talking about how he tells significant others in his um, romantic relationships that he struggles with BPT, BPD and what that's like. Um, and that his mental health is something that he's actively working on. Um, and the way that was was spun as a clickbait article was, again, something out of like a circus. And the pull quote was, I'm crazy. And so when I see that kind of thing, I'm like, oh, there is so we have so far to go as far as portraying mental health through a positive lens um, in the media. And you might have seen this on Instagram also, but there was a article that came out in some like trashy tabloid thing you would get at the grocery store. And it was ranking the best and worst, worst beach bodies. And the the captions on these photos were just absolutely tragic. It was it was bullying. There's no other way to put it. It was borderline defamation. Um, and it's it's terrible. And I also see on the other end of the spectrum, there are so many individuals who are transparent about the fact that they are struggling with their mental health and coming out and saying, you know what, like I I haven't been doing great. And these are the steps that I'm taking. And so while there is still a a lot of room for us to grow, the fact that we're having these conversations at all, I think, speaks to how far that we've come. Um, and so I think that's a that's an amazing piece of growth that we as a society have have gone through but there's there's still room for improvement definitely and just going back to what you were talking about the whole clickbaity titles and listing people with 10 worst beach bodies and 10 best like that is ridiculous I cannot believe this is still going on and like you said, how much work we still have to do as a society, right? Because mm-hmm. we do have many people, especially on TikTok, like I absolutely love the body positivity community. They are so amazing, so positive, and they're doing things that everyone should be practicing, you know? Um, so the fact that huge articles, wait, what mm-hmm. is it? Huge journal companies? Is that the right term? <laughs> Oh, huge media companies. <laughs> huge media companies are out here gaining so much money. They're making bank off of these horrible tabloids that completely talk trash about celebrities. And not only that, we as teens, especially, we're easily influenced. And so the fact that we read those magazines and we're like, 10 of the worst beach bodies, they may be more curvy girls, right? And then you may look like them and be like, oh my gosh, I am so ugly. Just because you're a normal human being with organs inside your body and a functioning body to fit those organs in. Like, mm-hmm. there's so many things that your body does for you that you should be so proud of. But media portrays it in such a horrible light where you're like, oh, I'm not skinny enough, I'm ugly. Or maybe, oh, I'm too skinny and people call me a stick. You know, Mm -hmm. I feel so insecure from that. Like, why does this even exist in the first place? It's horrible. Yeah, and it's all the way it's fun. I think we saw a phenomenal illustration of this with the Meghan Markle um, press and her interview with Oprah. If you haven't seen that, that's an amazing um, interview to watch. And they kind of did some side-by-side tabloid covers with Kate Middleton and Meghan Markle. One of them was about avocados. And for Kate Middleton, it was like supports health of baby, like making sure to get her greens in on her avocado toast. And for Meghan Markle, it was like supports child labor using this terrible like avocado that's being imported 
and it's like it's an avocado and she, it took an immense toll on her mental health she was driven to experience suicidal ideation she had to step back from her professional position um due to the toll that it took on her mental health and it's it's all the way it's spun it, it was spun completely differently with kate middleton and so um and not at the fault of either one of those individuals because they're not writing the articles right um but it's it's these news companies that again there's such a positive way to be able to spin mental health stories and and any story in that matter um rather than tearing people down and and really having negative impacts on their mental health you know what the most unfortunate part of this is it's the fact that we still look at it and um it kind of ties into those whole like drama channels and news companies like they make their money because we as consumers kind of decided that, oh, we want the drama. We want to see what the tea is about. And mm -hmm. it's unfortunate because we're kind of a part of the problem, if you think about it. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's it's tough because sometimes I know for me, I know like, oh, maybe I shouldn't click on this clickbait video, but I do it anyways, just because I'm curious. And I guess human curiosity can be problematic in these situations because you you know it's not something that you want to support but you do it anyways what this yeah. is like a whole psychological thing that definitely I mean it, the research probably already exists but it's fascinating to me yeah and it doesn't have to be black or white like sure watch all the drama videos you want understand different perspectives but don't write a hate comment. Don't go and bash someone for whatever they're doing because you don't know the full situation. So really looking at this on a spectrum, consume whatever you want to, be a critical consumer, understand all perspectives. I know during the election, my family and I would switch back and forth between CNN and Fox News and just see how completely differently they were reporting um, the election and the different callings. Um, but again, watch whatever you want to, consume whatever you want to, get a really great spectrum of different perspectives but don't write the hate comments. Don't go and bash other people. It, you don't have to go and um, repeat those things or or let someone know the feedback that that you know nothing about. You know what I mean? Um, and so it doesn't have to be black and white. And so I think it's important to kind of remember remember that. Just don't be a hateful person in general. Like yeah. that's honestly all there is to it. It's not that hard to be a kind person. Mm -hmm. That's like the moral of the story here. Yeah, if you don't have something nice to say, don't say it. <laughs> exactly. That's like the golden rule. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And we're bashing in 13 reasons why, but <laughs> it's okay. It's fine. <laughs> Honestly, this episode has been super impactful. And even just talking to you, like, you are so amazing. You are so Thank insightful. You. Yeah, you, you know so much. <laughs> like, you're pulling out all the data. I'm like, yes. <laughs> Love it. So um, is there anything else that you wanted to add? Yeah, I would say there's a couple of things that I always like to remind people after any kind of mental health conversation. The first is that you're not alone in whatever mental health challenges you're experiencing. The second thing is that the most difficult step that you'll take is for that first time admitting that you need help and you need support and going and asking for that. I swear it's downhill from there. Um, and again, you can be a really critical consumer. And I think it's really important to educate yourself about what your life can look like. I know I got into a headspace where I was severely depressed and I was like, this is just my normal. This is my average. It'll be like this forever. So if you can really kind of open your eyes and be, again, a critical 
a critical consumer and curious about what your life worth living can look like, I think that's a really powerful um, thing to kind of incorporate into your life and a small change that you can make. Definitely. Thank you so much again. Like you are so amazing. I love this chat so much. Yeah, me too. So where can my listeners connect with you? Yeah, my Instagram is at She Persisted Podcast. All of the information for the podcast is at, on my website, ShePersistedPodcast.com. And of course, you can listen on all platforms. Just search She Persisted and you'll find it. Um, yeah, my TikTok is at She Persisted Podcast. And yeah, that's about it. To everyone listening, also make sure to follow my Instagram and TikTok at The Steady Break Podcast. Stay tuned to your favorite podcast app, Follow me there and listen to a new episode every Tuesday. Thank you so much for listening. I'll talk to you in the next week. Bye, everyone.